Um, I know that uh, Crystal prayed, but I need more prayer, all right? So <laughs> I'm going to pray as well, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to have it read and proclaimed tonight. And we pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit will speak to our hearts this evening and that we will be convicted from your word through your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, good evening. I hope you had a good, refreshing Sunday so far. Have you? Hope you had some rest. I hope you had a great week this past week. I don't know what your week has been like. Maybe it's been a busy week. Maybe it's been a great week. Whatever your week has been, it's great your year tonight. Well, this evening, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, 39 to 45, which is our text for tonight. So, what do we have in Luke chapter 1? Let me uh, just say, in this account in Luke chapter 1, uh, we have two women in impossible circumstances. I'd like you to keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1. Both women are touched by God. One, a senior citizen, we might say that, right? Uh, the other was a teenager, probably around 13 to 14 years of age. One was barren and past her childbearing years. Both, both these women are miraculously pregnant. Just like Sarah and Hannah in the Old Testament, God provides a child to the older one despite her age. This child will be the last of the old covenant-style prophets. He would herald the fulfillment of God's promise to send the Messiah. The other was a teenage virgin, and at the beginning of her childbearing years. A young girl, and yet God conceived in her a child without the help of a man. And the child will be the foundation of a new covenant, the Messiah that had been long ago promised. So what we have in Luke chapter 1 is an amazing account given to us by Dr. Luke the physician. If you look at Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 1 and 2, Luke is very precise. He says, I have given careful consideration of these matters. I have given careful thinking of these matters, and therefore I am writing this down to my good friend Theophilus. Right. And so we have the account from Dr. Luke, who has given careful consideration of the matters that he's about to write in this gospel account. And so this evening, we're going to look at our text under three points. I'm going to call it, if you want to outline, it's three headings, three points, whatever you want to call it, that's fine. These are the headings. The personal conviction, we're going to look at 39 to 40. Uh, we have the personal confession, 41 to 43, and we have a prophetic confirmation at the end of this message. You should know those three points, right? So when we meet for coffee after the service, we're going to ask you what are those three points. No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. All right. So let's look at the personal conviction, 39 to 40. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now let me give you the context here. 
In Luke chapter 1, we read of the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary, a young teenage virgin, with news directly from God that she would bear a son. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, as we know. The plans may have been well underway for the wedding. Now, we have people who have been married in this church. We've done planning and preparation for months ahead, perhaps. Uh, what am I going to wear? What's going to be the service like? All those kind of things. We don't know whether Mary and Joseph discussed these things. Quite possible. And now she has big news from the angel Gabriel, which must have turned, I think, Mary's world upside down. You think about it. How would she bear a child without sexual relations, relations with a man? How is it going to be possible? And so Mary asked the angel Gabriel a very pertinent question in, one, in Luke chapter 134. And the angel just told Mary that she was going to be a mother. She was pregnant. And Mary must have had all kinds of feelings and emotions going through her mind as to how to deal with this news. She wasn't married can you imagine what people would say? Think about it. Imagine the social stigma attached to it. A young girl, single, not married, pregnant. What do you think so far? How would the story go and sit within a church community, for example? How would we deal with the news like that? What about the community that she lives in? What about her friends? What about the peer pressure around her? Right? Just have a think about it. Significant. Well, what would her parents have said? We don't know. And if that wasn't bad enough, friends, in those days, there was also punishment for a single girl if she was pregnant. The punishment was stoning. So it was death. So one can imagine, but I, I think one cannot even imagine what Mary must have gone through in her own life. And and so Mary asked this very important question, didn't she, from the angel. Um, the angel answered, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That's the answer. That's it, Mary. Your question has been answered. Here is your answer. You see, friends, the virgin conception was, nat was supernatural. The birth of Jesus was normal, but his conception was not. Now, as we know, the virgin birth has come under intense attack. Um, for example, this lady Jane, in her book, The Illegitimacy of Jesus, it's quite an interesting uh, take on this. She accuses the church of inventing the doctrine of the virgin birth in order to subordinate women. She summarizes that the charge of contemporary feminists then is not that the, the image of the Virgin Mary is unimportant or irrelevant, but that it contributes to and is integral to the oppression of women. What about this guy? Um, you know who he is? No? Larry King? No, not really? Well-known well -known TV personality, well-known news presenter. Maybe this guy that I just happen to see sometimes, right? Um, well, he said this, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me. The answer to that question would define history for me. So, is the virgin birth important for, Christian, for Christians? 
Is it an important doctrine of Christianity? Yes, no, not sure. You're free to nod your head, all right? It's okay. All right? Um, so the virgin birth of Jesus uh, is really fundamental. I think, let me say this. To reject, I think, the virgin birth is to reject who Jesus is. Not I think, it is, really. The virgin birth of Jesus explains how Jesus could be both God and man. It explains how he is without sin and therefore is perfect. It explains that the entire work of salvation is God's gracious act. So if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he would have had a human father. And that would mean he would be a sinner. And if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then the Bible teaches a lie. And Mary, as a teenager, got to keep this in mind, believed in God's promise to her through the angel Gabriel. And she found favor with God to bring forth his son. And so for Mary, the entire birth must have been confusing. Must have been confusing. But she was still convinced that this was God's work in her life. How do we know this? Look at what our text says there. In Luke chapter 138, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be to me. So she believed this. And so this led Mary to go and visit her cousin. What's her name? Elizabeth. All right. And so the angel Gabriel did, uh, did not leave Mary uh, in a state of confusion. So he spoke to her tenderly and referred her to her cousin Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth, as we know, was a barren woman. And the angel visited her husband Zechariah with the news that his wife will have a son. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with, with God. Let me say this. Here we have Zechariah. Zechariah was the priest. He was going into the temple courts. He was, in fact, going into the temple to, uh, to offer the incense on the altar. The people were standing outside and waiting for Zechariah. And suddenly, as he went in there to the temple and into the chamber, there was an angel who stood there, Gabriel. And Gabriel gave Zechariah the news. And Zechariah actually did not believe. And so when Zechariah and the people were kind of waiting outside, Zechariah, where are you? And when he came out, could he speak? No. He could not speak. He did not believe at all. How was this going to be possible? So friends, Elizabeth, a barren woman, gets the, uh, is blessed with a child. And so Mary, personally convinced with the news that she was to bear a son through the miraculous conception, decided to immediately visit her cousin Elizabeth. So she took, goes on this journey, probably two to three days. And then what was she to expect from that visit? How would Mary respond? And now we see a personal confession that we see in our text, 41 to 43. So Mary, have a look at your Bible. So Mary goes into uh, to the home of Elizabeth and Zachariah's house unannounced. We don't have an account here that she called and said, well, she wouldn't have called. 
or whatever communication. By the way, Elizabeth, I'm coming to see you. Be ready. No, we don't know any account of that. But she goes in there unannounced. And she's greeted by Elizabeth. And this is an amazing and profound thing taking place here when Mary is greeted by, when Mary greeted Elizabeth. It is not just greeting each other that stands out here, but something actually special took place here. We see the reaction of two unborn babies. And we'll unpack that in a moment in our text. And so when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Elizabeth immediately felt a movement of a baby in her womb. And we'll touch on that a bit more as we go on. So Elizabeth gave her the confirmation that the conception was indeed a miracle. She herself was barren, but now she's with child and is six months pregnant. But there was a significant difference between the two pregnancies, and we must not confuse the two here. It's, it's a different one. Right? Elizabeth was not a virgin. Mary was. Zechariah was the natural father of the child in Elizabeth's womb. Not so with Mary. Elizabeth was a woman who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so is, is, is Mary as well. And so, friends, we see tonight something amazing taking place in the encounters of these two women. And so Elizabeth says in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord, of my Lord, should come to me? You think about that. Have a think about it. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Incredible. Mary, you are blessed among all women. You see, in Jewish culture, friends, a woman's greatness was measured on the greatness of the number of children she had. So, if you had lots of children, you were a great woman, right? I don't think we measure married women like that today, right? Okay? Uh, but Elizabeth was telling Mary that she was blessed among all women because she was to give birth to the greatest child ever. The child promised Messiah. And it is an humble confession that is coming out from Elizabeth. Her son John the Baptist will be great, as the angel Gabriel had told Zechariah. But Elizabeth knew that Mary's child will be greater. A greater child. Another, a greater son. It's not like mothers trying to compare which baby is going to be greater, my baby or yours. Right? Elizabeth recognizes that Mary's child is going to be different. There was no jealousy going on here, none of that. Instead, there is a humble and yet powerful confession of faith in the unborn child in Mary's womb. Verse 43 again. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me. The word, you see, let me say this. Elizabeth calls the child in Mary's womb, my Lord. How's that? Eh? Elizabeth confesses a faith in Jesus, the Christ of Christmas, my Lord. She had not yet seen Jesus, and yet she says, 
my Lord. The Greek text would give us the word kurios. Probably could be translated also as the word Jehovah. This is my Lord. This is fully God. This is fully man. This is my Lord. And Elizabeth is saying, I am willing to follow Jesus, this child in your womb, Mary, because he is my Lord. Have a think about that, friends. My Lord incorporates everything about Jesus. Does it not? Right? What a confession of faith. He is my Lord. Here is saving faith. You see, faith sees things with the eye of faith. And so I want to ask you the question tonight. Is Jesus really your Lord? Is he really? Can you really say tonight that Jesus is my Lord? See, there's a difference. And the difference can be very subtle as well. I can say by God's grace and his kindness and goodness to me, Jesus is my savior. I, I can say it if you want. I can sing about it. I can, yeah, I'll say it 150 times. No problem. But I tell you what, it's a different challenge to be able to say, actually, he's my Lord. Because lordship over my life is something that's an ongoing battle, right? Because there are some things in our lives that we don't want Jesus to be perhaps Lord of. Do you have that struggle? Do you or am I a bit extraordinary here? <laughs> right? Because there are some areas that we might say, Lord, really, you know what? That's actually my area. You just stay on the outside. Don't come in here. I can handle this. It's, it's in my hands, Lord. Uh, I, I've got things under control here. Don't worry about that. The Lordship of Christ that, that enters every area in our lives, in the decisions that we make, in how we, we conduct ourselves, how we live, how we, we honor Christ, how we, we follow him. Is he actually the Lord? And this is not a burden, friends. To make Christ the Lord of our lives is not something that is burdensome. It is something that gives us great joy and great peace and great comfort and great hope and great satisfaction to have the Lordship of Christ over our lives. And Elizabeth says, this is my Lord, my Kurios, my Jehovah, incorporates everything. The Apostle Paul puts it so well in Philippians chapter 2. Actually, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 is an excellent read. Uh, some say it was a hymn. Uh, others, it's written by, of course, written by the Apostle Paul. We have an excellent exposition of what Christ did. He, he, you know, Philippians chapter 2, that he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. Right? And God exalted him. And in Philippians chapter 2, at the end, this lordship of Jesus, let me say it this way. For us today, looking at the lordship of Jesus, we can say it this way, right? And that is that Jesus came into this world. He humbled himself at the cross. He gave his life for you and me. He died on the cross, was crucified, a cruel, agonizing death, murdered on the cross, put in a tomb, sealed, and the, and the stone was there. 
And then three days later, the stone was rolled away, and Christ, what happened? What happened to Jesus after three days? He rose from the dead, right? The resurrection. Okay? And then what happened after that? 40 days later to Jesus. That's question and answer time now. 40 days later, what happened? He ascended into heaven. Okay? And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's exercising his lordship. And the Bible tells us that this Lord will one day return. And so when we speak about the lordship of Jesus, this is not just about Jesus being, of course, Lord of our lives, but we are looking at a span, at a redemptive history, at an amazing working of God, that this God, this Jesus, is Lord because he has conquered the grave. He has conquered sin. He has risen from the grave. He is the eternal king. What a great and awesome Lord he is. Did you see that tonight? You know, what a privilege to know this Lord. What a privilege. You know, this past week, this past week, there were three deaths brought to my notice. Three. I went home last Sunday night. Those of you who were here, I preached last Sunday night, right? Okay, you saw me here. I, <laughs> I went home and um, I had a call. Chris, I would like you to do the funeral service for my mother, well, the funeral's taking uh, place tomorrow in this church, a member from this congregation, a wonderful lady. Then, the next day, I received an email from uh, a chaplaincy department saying that the secretary who worked for us as chaplains died of cancer. I saw her, I spoke to her in September, she organized uh, a chaplaincy conference, uh, and within a matter of three months, Two weeks ago, I organized a gardener to go and work in uh, my parents' uh, place in Berwick. Uh, he went there, and I was uh, working in my office here. I called him to see how it, it, everything was going on the garden. Is are you pruning? Are you doing a good job? It's all good. I said, I want to organize you to come every month and do the garden. No worries, Chris. No worries. I'll be there. Two weeks later, actually, this past week, I called to make a booking for him to come. His wife took the phone and she said, and she was crying, she was crying. Three children in the family, the oldest is five years old. The husband came home after work, watched TV, ate, normal thing, went back, went to bed. Five o'clock the alarm rang, he didn't wake up. So she thought, ah, he's probably fast asleep. I'll go and shake him, wake him up. Found him dead. She's crying on the phone. And I said to her, I didn't know at that point in time she was a Christian. I said, I will pray for you, for God's comfort in your life. And she said, I'm a Christian. And the service in, is in a Baptist church. And I know that my husband is with the Lord, even though it's so hard for me. You see what I'm saying? And so the... You know, next time the alarm clock goes off in the morning, just be glad that you're awake to hear the alarm go off. Because there is no guarantee, friends. I, I said to Rose when I get up in the morning, man, I'm so happy I'm alive because I just don't know. We just don't know. You see what I'm saying? So when we talk about the Lordship of Christ, this is not something abstract. 
It is something so amazing, so wonderful. In fact, this afternoon I was talking about this text uh, with, with my wife. I was having a cup of tea, a nice Sri Lankan tea. And I said, you know what, dear? I said, I was looking at this passage and I said, you know, the best of all is yet to come. Because one day you and I will see our Savior Jesus Christ face to face. And what a glorious, what a momentous, the best thing ever that we can ever look forward to in a believer's life. Don't you think so? Because he is Lord. And so Mary says, he's my Lord. So friends, I encourage you to think about that, the Lordship of Jesus. And so we also have the prophetic confirmation uh, that we have in our, in our text here uh, tonight as well. Have a look at uh, verses 44 and 45. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, um, there are mums here and there's nothing extraordinary, I think, for babies to move in your wombs, right? Um, if you're a mother, you would know that. Uh, if you're a father, you probably saw your, uh, your baby moving in your wife's womb and you think, man, all those kicks and everything that's taking place, quite unique, quite unique. Well, I think so anyway. <laughs> it must be an incredible feeling for a mother to feel a baby move. I think it must be an incredible feeling. And now the movement of any baby in a mother's womb is, is not abnormal. Babies do move in their mother's womb, but the movement of the baby in Elizabeth's womb was more significant. Have a look at this. This movement was different. The meeting was a dramatic one. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped. Now this movement was unusual, Elizabeth says. As soon as the sound, I will think of this. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So leap of joy. The baby leaped. You know, the Greek text for the word that is being used here is the word abundant, exceeding joy, right? It's, it's the word of abundance of gladness. That's the, that's the word that is used here. It is an exuberance. So the baby didn't just have a little leap, right? It was an exuberant leap. And Elizabeth was able to know that this was different. This was a leap that was coming. It was a leap of exuberance and joy. How is that possible? Why was this? Why was this? One writer puts it this way. This special leap was John the Baptist's first proclamation, a silent prophecy in his earliest role as the forerunner announcing the coming of Christ. Here we see that the unborn John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, Elizabeth, was the first to recognize Jesus here as a baby. John, as a fetus, was six months old. He's not yet born, but he begins his role as the forerunner of Jesus. And we read Isaiah, didn't we? Isaiah chapter 40. What? what do we read there? A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
And who is that Isaiah speaking of? Isaiah speaking of John the Baptist. And now, when John sees, and somehow there's this, I don't know how, of, of course it's amazing, right? This communication going on between the two unborns. One is leaping for joy in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Did we see that, friends, tonight? So this was John the Baptist. Not only was John beginning to fulfill his role as a prophet in accordance with Isaiah 40, he was also fulfilling the prophecy given by the angel Gabriel. I, and, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even, see that? Where? Even from his mother's womb. And so when he sees somehow Jesus in the presence there, there is a leap of joy. So John leapt for joy. One writer puts it this way. John the Baptist was the only child, I like this quote, right, was the only child ever to use a womb for a pulpit, right? In the liquid darkness of his mother's womb, the unborn child kicked for joy, leaping at the sound of Mary's voice, and in a way preparing people for the coming of Christ. How is that? That would be a great sermon title, isn't it? The womb as a pulpit. And that's what happened. And so what an amazing and, uh, account that we have here. John begins to fulfill his calling right there in the womb of his mother. And John leapt for joy. And so friends, I want to say this tonight. The Christmas message is also one of great joy. Right? And joy is very much part of the Christian faith. Do you agree? Give me a yes or somebody, please. Right? Don't be afraid. This is good. Right? Joy is very much part of the Christian's faith. I mean, when I became a Christian, I, that, that, that was one of the great things that I experienced, the joy, the joy of the Lord. And I used to get up and sing, the, the song, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I know the theology of it was wrong. Now, now I know it. At that time, I had no clue. Because they, the song said, if you want joy, you must shout for it. If you want joy, you must clap for it. So I thought the more I clapped, the more I shouted, the more joy I had. Wrong theology, but who cared at the time? I just did it, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I used to sing that. My parents were thinking, what on earth is going on with this guy in his room? My friends couldn't understand it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Do you know, anyone knows that? No, amen. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> right? See, the Christian life is one of joy. That's a tremendous thing that our Savior gives to us. The joy of life itself. The joy of abundant life. The joy of eternity. The joy of one day seeing and standing in the presence of our amazing Savior. When joy will become complete 
And when Jesus returned, the everlasting joy that we have in this Savior. And I want to encourage us tonight to think about the joy of Christmas, of the Christmas message. John the Baptist leapt for joy. Sometimes we, I think, as Christians, we can be kind of killjoys, can't we? People can look at us and think, man, if that's Christianity, I don't want to have a bar of it. You know something, guys? If, uh, something? <laughs> you know something? I shouldn't use the word guys. So, you know something? Um, this is what God promises us. His joy that he gives to us. Think about it. What a joy it is to know this Savior. Man, it is the most exciting thing ever you can ever have in your life. Think about it. So the Savior's present uh, in Mary's womb was strong enough that the unborn child reacted to him in joy. You see, when we think of joy, I said we think of happiness, we think of celebration, we think of smiles, and we think of high fives, right? High fives. Give me a high five. It's joy. But joy is much more than that. It is a thing that comes from the heart. Joy is very much part of the Christian life. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy will be full. You get the point? My joy in you and your joy will be full. Can you buy it, joy? You can't do it, but he gives it to you. That's the amazing grace of our God. The joy of Christ is a lasting joy. And so I want to encourage you tonight, friends. I don't know what your life is going to be like this new week. I have, I have a general plan. I know I have to do, a, do some talks this week, and you might have some plans in your life, and you might have a stressful week. I don't know. But the Lord knows. But remember this. The joy of the Christ of Christmas for you in your lives, in your marriage, as a single person, as a father, as a mother, as a child, whatever the circumstances. And so, tonight, we have seen this evening, in summary, the personal conviction of Mary. We have seen the personal confession of Elizabeth. And we have seen tonight the prophetic confirmation when the baby, Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leapt for joy in the presence of Jesus. And it's a very, very profound, profound thing. The most amazing news ever. And God has done that. For you and for me. Can you ever work it out? I can't. The incarnation is a miracle. It's a mystery. And it is a marvel. And yet this God has done it. For you and for me. And for his people. And he says, now you put your faith in me. And you are going to be my child. For eternity. And I will give to you the leap of joy in your heart that you can never get from anyone else because you have trusted in my son. What is your confession tonight? Can you confess that Jesus is your savior?
can you confess that he is your Lord? And can we give thanks that his son has come? In Jesus is real lasting joy. This is the joy of Christmas. God's plan of salvation. And pray that the Holy Spirit will fill us with that joy today and always. For all those who find salvation in Christ will be saved by the atoning work of Jesus. The Christ, the virgin born Savior. Anything less than this is, not, is just not Christianity, whatever it may call itself. Anything less is not the true Christmas story. And so tonight, I hope, that you think about these things. We go out this week, remember what we are celebrating, who we are celebrating about, and the amazing encounters, and the joy of Christ, the leap of joy, the two babies. Boom. That's a good way to finish, isn't it? Right? So let's close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful story in your word. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world to be born of, a, of the Virgin Mary. Lord, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, that on the third day he rose again from the dead and he has ascended into heaven and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and that he is interceding for us as our Lord, as our Savior as the one who loves us and one day he is coming back again and Lord thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit that you have not left us as orphans but that you have sealed us with the Spirit the Spirit of joy and peace and everything that comes from knowing you Lord I pray tonight for your precious people dear Lord each and every one of them. That your hand of grace, mercy will be upon us. And that we will know the joy of the Christ child in our lives. Amen.